Welcome to the Northern Overexposure Podcast, where we overanalyze the 1990 sitcom Northern Exposure from CBS. My name is Charles. And I'm Lee. And um, yeah, we're here to just talk about Northern Exposure. I love the show. Charles, uh, this is his first time watching the series. And this is episode five, The Russian Flu. Interesting word title right there. Mm-hmm. What do you? What were you expecting from this episode? I, okay, so I predicted that everyone in the town would get sick. Mm-hmm. I accurately predicted that, though That's I correct. did not know why it was called the Russian flu. To be honest, I thought it would be called the Russian flu was because there was an actual flu called the Russian flu that was infecting the townsfolk of Sicily. The way they use Russian flu in this episode is that it's a red herring almost. Okay. That's what I mean. Yeah, and it's surprising there are, you know, there are no Russian characters in the episode. So we learned a lot about about uh, Russia's history. Yeah, about Gorbachev. <laughs> Is it Gorbachev or Gorbachev? Um, I, I I guess either could work. You yeah, know? we learned a lot about him, and as Ed would say, I think everyone learned a lot of really good stuff tonight. Really? Oh yeah. I mean, I never knew there was a power struggle in the Kremlin after Andropov died. <laughs> good night, Ed. I love that. I actually busted out laughing. Yeah, yeah. I uh, I find it. Fascinating that, um, you know, sort of like the hick redneck uh, townsfolk of Sicily know so much about Russian politics, perestroika, and... <laughs> I love it. I love like, it so much. Definitely played for laughs. You're, oh, yeah, we talked about this before. You're a big fan of town hall I am. I was so happy when they had a town hall meeting in there because it goes to show that the town is a character in the show, yeah. which I, I'm a big fan of in television shows. So when they had that town hall meeting and they're all incredibly angry at Joel... Yeah, uh, we're we're jumping ahead, but the uh, the the all of Sicily got really sick with uh, what they believe is the Russian flu, and uh, Joel is apparently not doing his job as a doctor because everyone's sick and they want to be everyone wants to feel better, so they call an emergency town hall meeting just to yell at Joel. Yes, and they all believe that Joel is a KGB agent. Yeah, um, this episode starts out in an interesting way. So it starts with Joel waking up in the morning uh, to Chris in the morning, his radio broadcast of a, um, a, a very special day is about to happen as we come to learn. Uh, they're playing the song Who Put the Bomp by Barry Mann. Do you recognize that song? I do not. Is there anything special about the song other than it's a happy, cheerful tune? Yeah, it's just like a happy, cheerful, uh, sort of like golden oldies song, you know? Um, and... The reason I say it's kind of uncharacteristic is this is sort of the first episode that has sort of like an opening voiceover narration. I'm not, yeah. I'm not sure that that actually happens again, but... No, that was the very first time that it's ever happened. Yeah, this maybe episode, the last as well. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> this episode is, can I just say, completely different from the other four episodes. How so? It's different in so many ways. Okay, I guess we'll get... We'll just talk about it. Yeah, well, we could just broadly talk about the major aspects of it, and mm-hmm. then we go down into the uh, minutia. The specifics. Yes. But I think that, like you said, immediately starts with a voiceover. We've never had a voiceover before. Mm-hmm. There's uh, transition shots that we've Lots never of transitions. seen. There, there are um, some funny transitions in, in this season that we've seen already, but this one has a lot of different style of transition. Yeah. Uh, we've never seen that before, and the writing has never been done this way. Okay, and yeah. I have to say I'm a big fan. Okay, good. Yeah, this is one of those oddball sort of like um, out of left field episodes that I really like in the first season. Um, yeah, I, let's just let's just get into it. So sort of like the primary plot, as you can tell, is Joel is 
doing this voiceover narration in the beginning and kind of explaining the status quo. Joel's been in uh, been in Sicily for I don't know maybe half a year or, or a number of months or something, and finally he's going to get to a visit from his fiance Elaine. She's flying in. Yes, we finally meet Elaine. And Joel is, you know, kind of like um, buttoning up his shirt, getting his nice, nicest look on. And it's kind of like just the cool cat in town, you know, like throwing the little finger guns at <laughs> Ed or something. You know, like everyone's like looking sharp, doc. Um, but pretty quickly we get in this kind of um, one of these opening scenes. Joel is seeing uh, a patient who seems to be very sick. Uh, and basically Joel tells him, look, I know, I understand maybe you're a pilot, but um, doctor's orders, you're not allowed to go up into a pressurized cabin. Your ears are clogged, like it'll do damage. Um, But somehow Joel didn't recognize that this is the pilot that was hired to fly Maggie in from Anchorage. Yeah. No, sorry, not Maggie, uh, fly Elaine in, his fiance, who's supposed to be arriving today. And as it turns out, I guess she's going to be stuck now. Yeah, so what is that expression? Pigs have come to... Your hens have come to roost or yes, something? Yes, your hens have come to roost. Is that an expression? Yeah. Is that I'm what they call it? Yeah, that's what they call Pigs, it. Pigs, hens. <laughs> um, your, far, your farm animals have come back to their place of establishment. And that so is what, what does happens. that mean for Joel? Something bit him back because he tells him, he says, uh, well, you can't be going out there. Your ears will explode. If, mm-hmm. you know, and then turns out that he's actually the pilot and he gets yeah. up. He says, well, doctor's orders. Yeah, it's not my it's fault like, that I can't go up there. It's like, you know... This uh, this poor girl from in Anchorage is going to be so upset that I can't pick her up. And he's like, well, tell her it was doctor's orders. Turns out it was Elaine. So Joel is now searching for a new pilot. Yeah, he goes all around town. He's asking Ed for help, saying like, well, who could we ask um, to go ferry Elaine back to Cecily? And he wants, he's like trying to avoid, like very hard, he's trying to avoid getting Maggie to be the pilot. Cause we know Maggie, she's been established as a pilot. We also know that there is like sort of the flirty, but also like a, a huge feud in practically every, ep- every episode. Yeah. Um, Maggie but and Joel do not get along. The great thing about this episode mm-hmm. or just this particular transaction is that what you said is true, that for the past four episodes, we see that they're in an uncomfortable gray area. But the reason that Joel for this episode is uncomfortable talking to Maggie is because in a scene that has not been established already, he's mad that she didn't install the air conditioning unit. Oh yeah. How does that come up in this episode? That's the first thing Joel says to her when he slides into her booth and he says, look, I know that we have our disagreements about how certain air conditioning units should be installed. Maybe we said some uh, harsh things, but (laughs) I really need a pilot. Yeah. we're, We're jumping ahead, but obviously Joel, it's his last resort. Everyone like, I think he sees Rick and Rick is like ready to just conk out. He just got off of this long major flight. Rick is also a pilot. It turns out, um, Every other pilot in town is just like a drunk or, you know, a buffoon. Um, we also learn an uh, interesting fact here. Uh, Ed, talking to Joel, um, tells tells him that Mary, uh, sorry, Maggie's full name is Mary, Mary Margaret. Yeah. wonder why she goes by Maggie. Uh, I don't know. Maybe it's a little less feminine. I don't know. Mary sounds, I don't know. Yeah. Well, uh, I do like <laughs> <Interesting>. that. <laughs> I like when, I don't even know what the proper writing tactic for this is, but I like when shows establish something that's uh, that's happened off screen and it's come back to 
Oh, like off-screen action, yeah. Yeah, yeah, It's a little exactly. bit of exposition and kind of sets the tone for this business negotiation that Joel and Maggie are about to have. Joel needs a pilot, and obviously, you know, if you're new to this episode, maybe you don't understand sort of the... Um, dynamic? The dynamic between Joel and Maggie, but right off the bat, as you said, the first line is sort of a bit of exposition. They have had quarrels in the past, apparently about an air conditioning unit, which has not been installed. Yeah, and I like that he did that, where he skipped over the air conditioning scene. Yeah, we, we don't need to see that. We don't need to see that. I we really need, like that. We're just, we do need to understand that they are like, they're quarreling. They, they, they don't like each other or they yes. have stuff to fight about. <laughs> yes, exactly. So I like that we skipped over that and we were able to get right into the meat of the scene and she is fine. She's fine delivering a lane from Anchorage, and but so, with double the cost. <laughs> oh yeah, she. It's a very professional. You know, their their relationship is purely professional. But Maggie does uh, charge him double because he's you know very desperate, so she can take advantage of him. Um, so let's talk about Elaine. Okay, so mm-hmm. we finally do get to see Elaine. We talked about it for a second ago. We finally do get to see Elaine in this episode. Um, in fact, I think like the first time we see her is as Maggie's plane is landing. Elaine's head is, uh, you know, sticking out the window and she's like, Joey, where's all the snow? You know, there's no snow. <laughs> where's but, all the Eskimos? Where's all the igloos? Yeah. But she points out something important. Like, is there no snow in Sicily? We haven't, it's been kind of summer maybe. Cause I know they're shooting, they're shooting in the summer, but what, what time period is it in the show? There's, there isn't snow. I mean, I imagine Alaska isn't frozen over, you know, 12 months of the year, but um, That's interesting now that you bring that up. I don't think we've seen snow yet. We haven't have seen we? any snow. And, and in fact, like not even like parkas really. Have we seen any giant uh, winter coats? You know, everyone seems to be dressed pretty normally, like temperate climate. We've seen them in flannel, which is kind of- That's true. Okay. An Very autumn, northern. winter clothing item. But mm-hmm. you're right. I don't- Yeah, they're not- They're never in outerwear. All right. So they only gave us one moose in the first five episodes and like- I don't think I've seen snow yet. Yeah. Right? Is there any snow? There's- Well, this is kind of cheating. There's there's snow snow whenever they're flying over the mountains mountains, to go dump out the ashes. The Soapy Sanderson episode. Yeah, there's snow right there. Call back to episode three. Yes. (laughs) But there had to be a snow. It was the mountain peaks. Yeah. It's it's cold up there. So another thing about Elaine, um, we have- been introduced to the character before, but we've never seen her yet. Um, we've only heard her voice on the telephone. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you remember what that sounds like. I can play a clip of it. Hi, this is Elaine. I'm not here right now, but if you leave a message, I'll get back to you as soon as I can. It sounds nothing like the Elaine that we see in this episode. It's probably, a, very likely, it's definitely a different actress that plays Elaine in that the other episodes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like they hadn't cast her yet, perhaps. And maybe they didn't know that we would actually end up seeing Elaine um, whenever they were you know, shooting the pilot. I wonder if you can actually hear her voice in the pilot. I know you definitely hear it at the end of, uh, the end of the last episode, right? You do. When they're talking at the last scene with mm-hmm. the telephone, you yeah. can definitely hear Elaine. She sounds, she definitely sounds a little more New York, uh, in, in this episode, you know, she, she does. She seems very, uh, New York, I guess you could it say. It is a stereotypical New York yeah. accent <laughs> actually. Yeah. But I'm glad they put in a little detail. Yeah, because um, it, it represents for Joel, you know, his his life in New York that he's so far away from. Yeah, and I like that the very first thing that she does when she gets in there is also very New Yorkish, is that she gives him a pastrami on rye from the stage deli. Yeah, is that a famous, uh, do you know anything about the stage deli? I had to Google it. and What did you real, find out? Well, uh, it's just a deli. 
Just a normal deli. It's yeah, not like a, notable for anything? or uh, Not that I know of, but mm-hmm. there were multiple stage delis though. So perhaps one of them mm-hmm. is well known. Yeah, maybe it's like the original stage deli and yeah. there have been a lot of, uh, mm-hmm. a lot of um, copies. Yeah. And this is actually when I noted that this was going to be a special episode or something out of the ordinary. Right. Okay. Because there's a lot of quips, a lot of... Uh, what do just, you mean? Well, whenever Joel is picking up the pastrami on rye, he gives a little quip and he says, There's a little known biblical fact. <laughs> when Moses led the Israelites out of the house of bondage, what he was really looking for was a pastrami on rye from the stage of Delhi. Does my lane take care of me or what? I, I've, I just haven't heard them quip like that in the four episodes that we've watched. You like that? You like the kind of like dialogue? I do. I'm references. such a fan it's of good, ping pong dialogue <laughs> like that. Yeah. But... Uh, that's when I knew I was like, Oh, what is going on here? And as we, as I watched further down into the episode, it's filled with things like that. Mm -hmm. Uh, and my leading theory as to why it's like this is because there's a guest star of Elaine coming in and she's new. She's Mm -hmm. an entirely new figure into Joel's Cecily life. So when she comes in, everything changes. Kind of brings out a different side of Joel that we haven't seen. And so therefore they had to go into new writing. Yeah. And then, I presumably what I can imagine is that the next episode, it won't be like this. I guess. Yeah, we'll see the yeah, next we'll episode see. coming up. Uh, well, we will talk about it on next episode. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, I guess uh, since we're talking about the writing, um, we can do a quick like credits. Uh, David Asael is the name of the writer for this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't can't find much about him, but the director of this episode is David Carson who apparently uh, directed a lot of TV, uh, most notably Star Trek The Next Generation, Deep Space Nine. Um, he also directed the film Star Trek Generations. Uh, are you a Star Trek fan? I'm not. I can't say that I am either. We're kind of letting... I mean, well, people... This isn't called Star Trek Podcast. So like, this is a... That's <laughs> this, true. This is a podcast <laughs> for uh, people, fans of a TV show that no one has ever seen. <laughs> um, the, you know, it's a, it's a, I guess, significantly smaller fan base. Um, but I will note, we were talking about this before we started recording. The David Carson, the director, also... You know, he directed a couple films. Uh, his most recent film is called Unstoppable. It's not the Denzel Chris Pine. Wait, uh, it's not Unstoppable. It's a different one from 2004. And I think, as it turns out, there's been a there's been actually a number of films called Unstoppable. I guess that's a pretty. Uh, I mean, yeah, that's a pretty good movie. Pretty title. generic title. Yeah. It could fit a lot of movies. Um, so yeah, I mean, this seems like a pretty prominent director. Um, there's some cool stuff in this episode. Um, uh, some cool camera movements and stuff. I, I wasn't necessarily let down by uh, by this episode uh, as a whole. I love this episode. Yeah, this might be my favorite episode so far. Oh, awesome! But it's I, because of the writing. It's very and it's it's a very strange episode. I guess we'll get there. Um, that's a big big draw for me uh, for this episode. Um, let's keep going. So we're talking about Elaine and Joel. Um, now we've got them together. They're getting ready for this. Um, whole weekend that they've planned together. Mm-hmm. Um, but sort of like the first conversation they have alone is about Maggie. Um, and, you know, Joel uh, is expecting one thing and Elaine seems to have really kicked it off like uh, with Maggie. They seem to yeah. get, get together, really get along really well. They um, hit it off perfectly. Yeah. Uh, well, according to Elaine and, and Joel can't believe this. Uh, they're, uh, there's a couple lines in this scene that I could not follow uh, or could not understand where they're going with this. Um, 
So Elaine uh, mentions that perhaps they should have a double date with Maggie and Rick. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, Joel has some sort of insult to Rick. He uh, calls him, what did he say? I think it's more of an insult to Maggie. He says, for starters, her boyfriend is from a long line of Cossacks. Yeah, I had to look that, that up. Is that, is that like sort of like, uh, what does that mean? It is from my short read on the Wikipedia page on it. Was, <laughs> on Cossacks uh, or on what? On Cossacks. <laughs> was that, it's uh, Cossack? Eastern Europeans right. in, uh, in that region and they're descending from there and they were mostly a... Is that like a derogatory term? Like, yeah, it's well, the way he used it was yeah. definitely a pejorative. But um, he calls them also, also in the same episode, he says that he looks like Don Johnson. Yeah, it's like I, I, you know, I thought the Don Johnson look was uh, was uh, not around anymore, but it looks pretty good on you. Yeah, which is like awesome. Rick who hasn't like shaved and like he he's been on a long bender. Yeah, they used that as pejorative, but like you were saying, like the Cossack term. There's a lots of little terms in this whole episode mm-hmm. where I didn't actually understand what they were talking about. Well, specifically in this scene, I think right after that, um, or around the same time, Elaine. Um, is talking of Maggie, um, saying that Maggie reminds her of Kate Grubin after she got her nose fixed. I think Kate, Kate, is that a real person? No, I think that Kate Grubin is actually just someone that Joel and Elaine know back in New York. That's the only thing I could figure out just from, um, doing like a Google search, but yeah, I totally sounded like it might be a celebrity at the time, but I don't know if anyone knows Kate Grubin right into the show. Oh um, yeah, please. (laughs) But perhaps it's a fictional character, one of their friends, like mm-hmm. you said. That was my best guess. Oh, one thing I, sorry. Yeah, no <laughs> sorry, I cut you off. No, no, no. I just saw this and it made me chuckle. Uh, the one thing they noticed about uh, Joel's apartment um, when he brings Elaine in or when he's going out or something, we see his front door and it has like eight locks on it. <laughs> I'm sure we've seen his a shot of his door in previous episodes, but for whatever reason, it didn't register with me. Has he been adding locks or is that a, like, is it new for this episode or do you know if he's had locks on his door? I didn't catch that detail at all, yeah. but I would love if this was true. If he kept adding locks to yeah, it, like he felt would be an more and more insecure. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, I mean, uh, you know, uh, he's got, a, you know, Ed keeps like, I, he's got so many locks on his, sorry, I'm just freaking out. He's got so many locks on his door in this episode, but Ed still manages to sneak in anytime him and Elaine are about Every to get time. it on. <laughs> <laughs> twice. I think he does it twice. He's, uh, yeah. It's just like, as soon as uh, they get a moment alone, Ed has just appeared. Right at the doorway. Yeah, I love that Ed fills in for Chris, by the way. Yeah, so we kind of get throughout, we've kind of, um, we've been just like running through this, but um, as this episode is developing, as we said, people are getting sick and that's kind of manifested throughout um, every scene that we've been watching. Everyone is like sort of sick. Mm-hmm. Um, people are not in their normal positions. Um, and obviously Chris He's out sick. Ed has taken over the radio and he does a good, like, good morning, Sicily, you know, Yelp. And this is something I've wanted to do for a long time. So, here it goes. Good morning, Sicily! Assuming that's a good morning Vietnam reference. That's what I thought too. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And he plays a rap song about New York on the, on the, that's like his first spin as a DJ. The song is New York, New York by Grandmaster Flash. So, yeah. Is, uh, is Ed a big fan of rap? Um, was that established in the pilot when they were, uh, Joel meets him for the first time in the truck? I, I don't know. They talked about rap. I don't know if it is, but, uh, yeah, probably so. Um, I mean, he's, he's, he's like a cool hip kid. Yeah. Know? He seems like his tastes are, are eclectic. 
they range from everything. So I like that he played that, and I thought it was going to come back to bite him, but it didn't. Townsfolk didn't complain to him. Oh, you didn't? You, I mean, it's much better than show tunes, like when uh, Maurice Oh, you take over. that back. <laughs> <laughs> so there's also lots of little details that are sprouting up so okay. far in this episode, mm-hmm. uh, particularly words. One of my favorite words that he used uh, is savoir-faire. Savoir-faire, yeah. Yeah, means adaptable. And I like that he just used it here, and then they used superfluous. Superfluous. So, um, when, when, what context was that in? I don't remember. You just actually. wrote that. I know uh, savoir faire is whenever uh, so Joel has this thread throughout the episode where he's trying to call an external doctor from like a, a bigger city. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I don't. I tried to rewatch it and see. I don't think they mention what city uh, the doctor is from, but he's got this doctor on the line constantly. He's just trying to get him to like airlift in like uh, vats of chicken soup. He needs like a, a nurse practitioner in Sicily as soon as possible. Yeah, his. Uh, I think he specifically says he needs chicken soup that's airlifted from Brooklyn. From Brooklyn, yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, he's just like has all these demands because it hasn't reached epidemic level yet or something, but he it, it's not looking good. He's got all these patients in his waiting room. Mm-hmm. Everyone in town is sick. As we said, they call a town hall meeting about it. Uh, later, later in the episode. Yeah. Uh, but before we get there, okay. we get to the first quiet moment between Joel and Elaine. And Joel brings a six pack and I can actually recognize the oh, six what pack. Oh, yeah. What are they drinking? They're drinking, uh, I don't know the particular beer uh, that they're drinking, but the beer company is the Alaskan Brewing Company. I saw Alaskan. Yeah. It makes sense. You know, it's uh, it's on point. I think we we missed this on the last episode, but there are some um, references like in the set dressings and scenery um, that definitely call out that this show was shot in Washington. <laughs> For instance, last episode, we missed over this. I, I meant to mention it, but uh, on the back of Joel's pickup truck, there's a sticker for... Uh, um, Cube FM, K-U-B-E, I believe, which is a Seattle radio station, which, you know, perhaps that's uh, that would be on the back of his truck, but it's more likely if he was in Washington that he would have a sticker of that. Yeah, but we can't rule out the possibility that Joel's just a big fan of that radio station, just wants to represent Do them. Do you think they could, they, there's no way it would reach uh, Sicily, Alaska. Oh, yeah, you're right. But <laughs> Maybe you got a, you know, on a layover or something from Washington to Alaska. I, <laughs> yeah, who knows? Who knows? But yeah, so Joel and Elaine are alone together and, and they're talking, uh, which inevitably always ends up with Maggie. Yeah, they kind of realize this towards the end of the episode, but every conversation they have ends up with some sort of argument over Maggie mm-hmm. because Elaine, as we said, is like buddy-buddy with Maggie and Joel obviously has a, a wretched past. <laughs> yeah, and I believe that Joel says that the reason he doesn't like Maggie is because she calls Joel a pathological... Oh, yeah, this is so good. Um, uh, what does he say? She called me a pathological neurotic, okay? You know how the imprecise use of medical terminology drives me crazy? I love that. <laughs> yeah, pathological neurotic, which I guess... Uh, you know, the, the actual definition of pathological probably doesn't, uh, it doesn't align that. with, um, yeah. What Joel actually is, or maybe it does. And he just doesn't want to face the truth. But I like that, uh, <laughs> that sentence, the imprecise use of medical terminology drives mm-hmm. me crazy. Cause it also drives me crazy. And I like that Joel is so rigid of his craft mm-hmm. that he won't assign or let people self diagnose other people because it's irresponsible to do that. If you call someone, uh, 
quote unquote crazy, if you call yeah. them uh, psychologic, uh, a sociopath, anything like that. Mm-hmm. I, I like that Joel is. He wants to be precise about it. Yeah, I really like that. And actually, it occurs to me that Joel takes his job as a doctor very seriously. Oh, yeah. I fact. mean, yeah, we kind of talked about this in, in different episodes. He seems like a curmudgeon um, on the. Uh, on the outside, and he has a lot of uh, social problems. Obviously, he's very stuck up when mm-hmm. it comes to dealing with uh, what maybe what he views as like a baser people. <laughs> whenever he's like <laughs> hanging out with these rednecks that he despises, he seems. But uh, on the inside, when he's actually dealing with the patient, um, yeah, he really opens up. And uh, so far as we've seen, it's kind of in a surprising way. He's very personable and uh, very interested in almost caring for. His patients, he is in a lot of cases. When Ed barges in on Joel and Elaine's intimate moment, Joel was at first, you know, reasonably pissed. Yeah. But then Ed says, "Oh no, it's for Chris and Maurice. They're sick." And as soon as Ed says they're sick, it's Joel a call to action, up. like he's got a duty. Yeah. Right. right. And he doesn't. He he looks concerned. I like that. I like that about Joel. Yeah. And and like as we said, this happens a lot when he's trying to get close with Elaine. Ed always swoops in, and there's always. Um, some sort of a medical reason and, you know, Joel, Joel must take it seriously enough mm-hmm. to, you know, he's, he's the, the only doctor that they have, so mm-hmm. he needs to be there. Um, and so I guess um, I wanted to kind of talk about like the plot, the different plots of this episode. I think, you know, it's hard for me to separate everything that's going on. All of the little plots are pretty closely entwined mm-hmm. together. I mean, everyone like, so let's kind of jump ahead. Let's just kind of like, yeah, yeah, yeah. as a whole, um, this episode is about, uh, Joel and Elaine's weekend together. She gets sick with the, with the quote unquote Russian flu. Yes. Um, so that is sort of like a, a bit of a crisis. Um, the townsfolk keep getting sick, which is a bit of a crisis. It, um, results in a, in a town hall, which I do want to talk a little bit more about when we get there. Um, well, let's talk about it real fast. Uh, yeah, let's talk about the, well, the Really, the only thing I wanted to mention was uh, Pew Kid is there. Like the puny, Pew Kid. I noticed kid. that. <laughs> yeah. So he's not leaning on the Pew anymore. He's too sick to do that. He's just really Everyone's sick. Everyone's out of their element this yeah, episode. Everyone is not in yeah, their normal position. Um, but I'm glad that they um, seem to draw from the same pool of extras. It, it must, um, Rosalind, Washington, where which is the actual city that they shot in, um, must be a small town with the same people showing up uh, <laughs> to the shoots every day. Yeah. I, like we talked about before, these folks are either incredibly well-educated, uh, <laughs> the Russians were well-known, or this was just general knowledge in the 1990s. No, I think, I mean, I think it's obvious that this is very kind of, they, they seem to have some, uh, a depth, a certain depth to their understanding, um, which is, I guess played for laughs, you know, cause it's like, there's no way that anyone would know yes. anything unless like they're like a Russian scholar or like, you know. Yeah. He always talks about, well, it's, the town folks are talking about. It's like the juxtaposition. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Between what you would perceive to be illiterate Hicks and yeah. how they would even know who Julius and Ethel Rosenberg are. Yeah. I guess they, yeah. That's kind of like, I think Joel really takes a sting to that because, uh, they they call out Joel's parents or something for holding candlelit vigils. That's yeah. what they're talking. That's why yes. they're like, your parents probably held candlelight vigils for Julius a- and Ethel uh, Rosenberg, Rosenberg, which is like I guess sort of like a Jew a Jewish like jab towards because Joel obviously is a right. Jew from New York. Um, yeah, I think he takes a little sting from that, or he's just <laughs> a little uh, disbelief. You know, <laughs> it's like yeah. where, where are you getting this from? Um, I, I just can't believe that 
they just kept dropping uh, Russian references and how they didn't you know, dislike Gorbachev and all, everything about him. Mm-hmm. And I was just so impressed by the townsfolks. Um, there is, a, a, I guess, it's, if we're talking again about the overall plots of this episode, the only other thing I can kind of draw out is... Um, the plot line between Joel and Marilyn, which is pretty brief, but uh, Marilyn, his uh, assistant, um, has been uh, using her own remedies to help the townsfolk. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's some sort of stinking, putrid, uh, I guess, balm or like rub. It, it looks um, like moose dung and Joel even says it smells, that's what he says, it smells like moose dung. What is this? It's an ancient tribal uh, remedy, she calls yeah. it. Yeah. I think the real name for it is Hi-Ho, Hi-Ho, Ips thing. It's a Hi-Ho, Hi-Ho, Ipsonio. Ipsonio. Yeah. There we go. It rhymes at the end. Yeah. Hi-Ho, Hi-Ho, Ipsonio. Yeah. It rolls off the tongue. It's got a nice rhymey lilt to it. Um, and obviously Joel is not thrilled about this. I mean, it seems to be working. So Joel is receptive about mm-hmm. it. He's like, okay, well, maybe if you could tell me what, is inside of this, what, what makes this uh high Ohio Ipsonio. Maybe I could deduce like what chemical compounds are inside of this. And I would feel better for actually, cause he doesn't want to lose his medical license. He, he, it's like an unproven, like not FDA approved, uh, remedy. Yeah. Well this, okay. So let me go into some really Let's deep over analysis right here. Do it. So Joe admits at the town hall that there's no cure for the flu, what they have. Yeah, he's like... But he also disagrees on any uh, medicine or treatment that tries to cure the flu. So he's skeptical of the high Ohio as well, even though there shouldn't be a cure at all. He's not willing to try anything new. He's dead set on his one Oh, just believing that, yeah, that there is no cure for... Right. I mean, well, that's... Which he he's should be. Knowledge- if you're a yeah, he knows about this, I guess. But I guess I, I see what you're saying. Like he's not a he's not a as open minded, which is something that Elaine calls him out for. Yes. a lot. Um, and just he can't roll him. with the punches. Well, I guess from Joel's perspective, Joel feels that Maggie is sort of like brainwashing Elaine mm-hmm. um, because everything that Elaine tells Joel seems to have that sort of like Maggie uh, criticism behind it. You know. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like, well, it's very interesting when you say that because it opens up the blinders to Elaine where she's able to see what uh, Joel's faults are, that he's very, not one-dimensional, but just a person that isn't very spontaneous. And I think they even say that as a criticism. Yeah. He's not very spontaneous. Not spontaneous, and he uh, he doesn't let anyone catch a break. Is that what she says? Like, yes. he's very offensive. Like, not offensive. He's very aggressive, I guess, to outsiders. Right. You know, I guess that's sort of like the hard edge from living in a big city, maybe. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, it definitely could be a big city or just part of his profession of being a doctor. But I think it's more about him as a whole, as a human being. Just that's who he is. Yeah. And we talked about this in the last episode, like, character growth for Joel and uh-huh. some of the better episodes um, point out, like, sort of... Uh, Part of Joel that is lacking, and and hopefully we see how Sicily can shape him and make him better. Do you think this episode offers any of that, like any change or? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Well, yeah. Tell me about it. So I think that there's a lot of change that happens to Joel throughout this episode, but it's done in the different plot line, or like it, it's mm-hmm. done in a very strange dream sequence, and then you can finally oh, yes. tap it all together. Yes. You can tie them all together. So 
in this one, they go into a dreams, two different dream sequences, actually. Yeah. But the second dream sequence is the one that I want to focus on. What was the first dream sequence real fast? It's one where he's in New York and everyone's reimagined. Oh, wait, wait, wait. A different I New definitely York. want to talk about that. But no, no, no. Yeah, we can, we can save that. What's we the will second? definitely come back to that because I think the that's... the second dream? I, I definitely want to go more into that. But for yeah. the second dream, this is where I got a lot of the meat of the episode from mm-hmm. was that they're in a... I think they're in a hiking. Uh, oh, it's the nature the nature tour that uh, that Hauling takes them on. Yes, the the nature tour, and Hauling is talking about how there's something very special on what you don't see. It opens up your mind to the imagination. Yeah, this is it, yeah. It's very um, very sort of like almost philosophical. Um, a deeper concept, you know, very mm-hmm. underlying message. Um, this scene, by the way, I don't know if you caught it, but it's a direct reference to Twin Peaks. Oh yeah, they're Twin yeah. Peaking hard. Yeah, <laughs> yeah the, the musical score. While cherry it's, pie references. Yeah, uh, donuts, cherry pie, coffee. Um, while the musical score isn't a direct pull from Twin Peaks, it has that, um, the the jazz snaps and sort mm-hmm. of the vibraphone uh, jazzy line. Um, in fact, it's, it, it, I, I forgot that, I don't know if it's explicitly said it's a dream, but it certainly feels very dream sequence-like. Um, the way we get into it is it's uh, sort of a very slow dissolve into uh, waterfalls, which is a common image from the Twin Peaks mm-hmm. uh, theme, you know, yeah. theme titles. Um, and yeah, things just start to, everyone starts to talk in a way that's not like a waking life or anything. Right. Like you said, uh, continue with, yeah, the sort of Hollings, uh perceptions and his, mm-hmm. uh, what does he say? Yeah. Well, we're immediately, it, this is all played to laughs because we all know yeah. they don't actually talk this way. They're just, uh, or played to like an, to laughs and also just like an odd, um, they know it's odd intrigue. Yeah. It's yeah. weird. They know that it's odd. They but, being the, the writers you mean, or, uh, or the characters in the, the characters, the characters and the, the writers. Yes. Let me yeah. reiterate okay. the characters and the writers. Cause the characters even break the fourth wall by saying like, what's that sound? What's that snapping yeah, sound? Yeah. They can hear the, the music that we're listening to. Yeah. Right. And to go back to it, Holling is saying that it's what you don't see that opens up your mind to the imagination. And Elaine responds back saying, Susan Sontag says that images are inherently fascistic. 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 Let me what does back. that mean? What does <laughs> that even mean? <laughs> it means authoritarian. Okay. So it means only in one, one view is what she's trying to ah. say. Yeah. Uh, for just that same reason. So the entire quote is Susan Sontag says that images are inherently fascistic for just that same reason. And then Joel, I like the blocking of this shot because it's all like a slow push in. Maybe it's not pushing in, but it's just this wide shot with the three of them. Mm-hmm. They're trying to, um, pose for a photo, but it's incredibly foggy. Um, so it's not going to come out clear. Right. Um, but as, uh, Elaine and Holling are having this, uh, philosophical discussion, um, Joel is sort of like in between them in the, in the frame. Yeah. And he's kind of looking back and forth and he's like, uh, I, I think it's actually right after Elaine says, says her line. He's like, Oh, come on, Holling, just take the picture, you know? Right. And I think that just shows that Joel is, he's not concerned about any of, uh, other perspectives mm-hmm. when they're talking about the idea of other perspectives. Joel yeah. just wants to go on ahead. And I want to overanalyze this by no, a this little bit. No, this is great. Yeah. This is uh, something that while this scene intrigued me, I, I really like that you're, digging in as deep as you can, even if it's like, 
like there's no reason to dig in that deep. I like this. Go, please. Yeah. yeah. What's happening? So this is definitely overanalyzing. No, this, but I like, here for. I love that they bring up Susan Sontag, who, yeah. uh, whose works in photography are still renowned today. And I think that decades ago, Virginia Woolf wrote that photographs are simply a crude statement of fact addressed to the eye. And then decades later, Susan Sontag would reply back with, the truth is, photographs are not simply anything. And what they mean by this is that Hmm. photographs can be altered in so many ways. They can be framed up. They can be edited. Not everything that you see is within that one photograph. Meaning not, there isn't just one way of looking at things. There can be a whole multitude of things. So Joel's perspective on life is just one way. When in reality, it might not even be the right way. Yeah. There can be so many different ways of I like, looking at it. I like that you found that. That's like definitely, I mean, I can tell um, your your talking points on this episode so far seem to resonate with that idea a lot. Um, it really does. Uh, yeah. And I think that another, this is another quote from Susan Sontag that I think really applies to the situation where she okay. says that reality has come to seem more and more like what we are shown by cameras. It is common now for people to insist upon their experience of a violent event in which they were caught up a plane crash, a shootout, a terrorist bombing, that it seemed like a movie. Yeah. This is said, other descriptions seeming insufficient in order to explain how real it was. And what yeah, I meant by all that, you know, no, long yeah. quote is that sometimes we use fake experiences to describe a real experience. Yeah. Well, not necessarily. Well, I guess, yeah, a movie, uh, if it's not a documentary or, you know, if mm-hmm. it's not cinema verite or whatever, it is It is a fake uh, sort of narrative that it's constructed. Right. So perhaps Joel's entire perspective on things is just a fake construction. He needs to look broader yeah. within it. So that's where I got his development growth in this episode. Yeah, I mean- I know you're you're tying this already into a lot of different elements of this episode, but Hayao Hayao being a large, a very clear uh, representation of that whole idea is uh, something that Joel wants to try to understand rationally. Mm-hmm. He's trying to break it down into chemical components. Um, and for Elaine, it's it's a secret. Oh, no, yeah. not Elaine, sorry. Well, well uh, Marilyn, Marilyn. Yeah, Marilyn. Um, you know why I say Elaine? Because Marilyn's actress, the actress that plays Marilyn is Elaine Miles. So <laughs> shout out to Elaine Miles. Um, but uh, yeah, Marilyn, Marilyn's approach to it is that it's a secret. It's, um, it works because we don't necessarily question it. Or, right. You know. uh, but, uh, again, by the way, we're, we're not sponsoring that you should not listen to doctors. You should definitely <laughs> listen to doctors. We're not yeah. saying that homeopathic remedies are the way to life. We're not, we're not saying that no, at all. definitely not. <laughs> we're just relating this in the context of this TV show. Yeah, of course. Yeah, please do not take medical advice from us. We are... Not we're not even, doctors. <laughs> we're not even, uh, you know, literate, literate scholars of TV or film. But going back into it, uh, well, we already talked about one dream sequence, and this was the second dream sequence. Yeah. Should we talk about yes. the first dream sequence? Yeah. Well, I guess before we jump into there, uh, I will say one of my favorite aspects of Northern Exposure is it's um, it's sort of use of dreams. Dreams dreams will pop up a lot more and more in this in this show. And uh, I'm actually really surprised that the last episode that we watched is called uh, Dreams, Schemes, and Putting Greens. Uh-huh. And there's not really a dream sequence in it. I mean, you could say there are like dreams, like fantasies of ideas that the characters want, mm-hmm. like their wants are sort of fantastic. Um, but there's not really a dream sequence in that episode that has dreams in the title. Um, well, yeah. I know we should have said that last episode. <laughs> we were talking about it an episode too late. But, well, it didn't, um, there's no other uh, word that rhymes with schemes and greens uh, for on. aspirations. Uh, 
Okay. Yeah, because they were using dreams in the sense of uh, wanting to achieve something. Uh, yeah. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, aspirations. <laughs> but the dream sequence in this episode is really fun. Um, so it's it's sort of like it begins with some like archival footage of New York and there's like this old sort of like Dixieland, old white guy jazz, you know, playing very Woody Allen style, mm-hmm. like something you would see uh, immediately in a Woody Allen film, the jazz music, the New York footage, the New York scenery. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's this wonderful crane shot, uh, very wide and up in the air. And we see Joel is sort of like a hot shot in sunglasses and a suit, probably slick backed hair. And he starts running into all of our favorite uh, Sicily characters. Um, and they all are in the Big Apple now for some reason. Um, in fact, you know, let me try to think of this. I feel like, um, obviously we're watching this from DVDs, but I feel like this transition into this scene probably occurred after a commercial break. So if you're just watching Northern Exposure and this pops on and you just start seeing this footage of New York, you don't really understand what you're watching. Oh my God, um, I, that never occurred to me. I like to believe that's how it was uh, set up. I mean, I imagine that's what happened. It's a kind of a hard cut to this uh, to this New York scene. Um, anyway, he's running into all these characters and they all mention, uh, hey, say hi to your sister for me. And Joel's like, sister? I don't have a sister. What are you talking about? He's confused. He's like, oh, great to see you, Chris. Uh, Chris is apparently filling in for Larry King all week. Uh, Chris is like a, <laughs> a hotshot um, talk show host now. Yeah, they're all reimagined yeah. in Joel's uh, fantasy. So Yeah, Maurice. What is Maurice still is an astronaut costume. He's in an astronaut costume, but he's like raising money for some reason. Do you know what he was? It's a charity event, but I don't think it's yeah. a, it's a non-descriptive title that he okay. gives, if I remember correctly. Yeah, we, we don't seem to know anything about that, so. Yeah, and Holling is reimagined as a doorman. Holling's the doorman for his apartment, and Shelly is sort of like a dog walker, but um, Holling... Uh, refers to her as a call girl that practices safe sex. Yeah, and they use a word that, again, in this episode, I don't know what it means. Well, so the quote is, uh, Joel like kind of looks directly into the camera, like a direct address, and he says, now look, I don't want to turn this dream sequence into a public service announcement, <laughs> but a good ungats with the condom is still a good ungats. And I can tell you what I, I mean, I, I didn't recognize the term. I, I assumed it was a uh, Yiddish or something, but what it, what do you know about this term? I don't know anything. I typed it in to Google and it didn't come up. Nothing. I found some urban dictionary entries for ungats. Oh, I saw UN- that too. I didn't, I didn't take that at face value though. And it's like a, from what I can tell, it's like Italian, but probably more like mafia gangster slang for, um, sort of in this context would be, uh, the male genitalia, you know? Um, but I think what it originates from is, uh, like sort of a crude way of saying nothing like that ain't for, I guess, should I swear right now? I don't know. You can do the beef. Podcast. I think beefing actually can work. Yeah. So for instance, if you're in our, uh, contemporary vernacular, we might say, well, that ain't shit. Um, but you know, in this usage, it would be that ain't ungats, you know, that doesn't amount to anything. Interesting. Um, but Used in this context, uh, a good ungots with a condom, uh, referring to the male genitalia, I assume. Still a good ungots. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, this is Urban Dictionary, so I That's haven't true. actually talked to anyone who, <laughs> who knows what that word means. Um, yeah, let's continue. What, yeah. what happens next? Ed is reimagined as a valet. Of it's like a bell. Is that what a bellboy is? Yeah, a bellboy. Bell boy. That's what he's reimagined as. He's got but, the little hat on. He's sort of the elevator operator. Yeah, and even in the dream, dream sequence, he is still... Big fan of Woody Allen. Yeah, what what do you what does he say about Woody Allen? Uh, he's saying that 
you know, Woody's got like a writer's block of sorts or he's not doing as well on the shoot, so he needs help. But he says something that I didn't catch again. He's mm-hmm. saying, uh, you know, I'm going to get on that once Woody's biography on Kierkegaard is done. Yeah, I think, did Woody Allen, uh, I'm assuming that he's referencing a biography that Woody Allen might have written about Kierkegaard, but or did he not? He did not. Well, I'll tell you this much. Uh, Woody Allen is a was a big fan of, like, those philosophers, Kierkegaard. Really? I didn't know that. Um, who's, Do you know anything about the philosophies of Kierkegaard and how it relates to this? No, I don't, I don't know anything about Kierkegaard's philosophies, uh, but I will say that Woody Allen was influenced largely by... Um, Kierkegaard and those Ingmar philosophies. Bergman. Yeah. I think he references Kierkegaard in, in maybe, um, maybe it's like Hannah and her sisters or something. Oh, uh, cause okay. yeah, that's the one where he's like, his character is like contemplating suicide and he talks about Nietzsche and like Kierkegaard and stuff like oh. that. I don't know if you've seen that one. Like he converts to Christianity and, and what? <laughs> yeah. In, in the, in the movie, his character, like, it's a joke because he's obviously stereotypical, Allen. like major Jew, but right. he, like, he converts to Christianity. Um, yeah, but that was just a line that Ed had that, again, I just didn't. Yeah, I guess only I major fans. Maybe pe- maybe Woody Allen was big in the 90s um, because, yeah, I don't, I don't think the average person would know anything about Kierkegaard and Woody Allen's relation to Kierkegaard. But yeah. Uh, yeah, so what is the context of the scene? Ed is uh, still obviously working uh, as sort of like um, a figure for like film and uh, um, cinephile. Oh, in, okay. in, And so like, I guess in, in Joel's dream. Um, in his dream sequence. Yeah, he's still really about the movies, even in there. And then he goes inside and Elaine is in the kitchen cooking. Yeah. And I love what she's cooking. What is she making? Chocolate mousse. She's making a chocolate mousse. Yeah. Isn't it like an actual, like it looks in like the a shape, of a, shape of a mousse. And Great like word chocolate. play. <laughs> yeah. Um, and she's making a high Ohio Ipsonio sauce. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Apparently. Uh, Marilyn is their maid. We should talk about um, when he gets into the apartment, Marilyn is like the maid. Yeah. She's, she's kind of like, is she like in a, like a French maid's she outfit? She is. She's in a French maid outfit. The apartment, by the way, is like, sort of like modern and white, uh, but there's all this like tribal art, which as you see, like you see um, Joel has two kids and they're little Eskimos, like is what yeah. he calls them. They're dressed in like they Eskimo little parkas and everything. Uh, and so I'm assuming that the uh, tribal art is all like sort of Native American Eskimo uh, art that's around. Yeah, it's a melding of two worlds of Joel's, the mm-hmm. Alaskan wilderness that he's in and New York. And the New York that he's returned to now. And uh, he... Um, finally encounters Maggie in the bedroom who is dressed like a very sexy Amelia Earhart, mm-hmm. right? And she's kind of jumping all over him. And it turns out in this dream sequence that Elaine is his sister. Yes. And, and, and Maggie is his wife. And uh, he sort of, I guess he comes out of this dream in a, in a very shocked state, right? Because he, he wakes up and um, he's in bed with Elaine and she's um, still sick, but we she has... Uh, applied high Ohio Ipsonio to herself. You know, they have done that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, can we talk about that? Do you have anything else to say about the dream or? No, not particularly. So the, about the high Ohio Ipsonio on, on Elaine, um, that whole sequence, um, Joel has, it's sort of a last ditch effort because Elaine is only in Sicily for a certain amount of time and she's very sick. So, uh, Joel, caves in and finally prescribes her some high Ohio Ipsonio scrub or rub, I guess. Um, and 
he administers it to Elaine and she's kind of like, uh, she's freaking out obviously because the smell. Um, yeah. but as he's like rubbing it onto her, um, the score in this scene is interesting. Uh, it sort of sounds like sort of like a plucky violin sound, but it's, it's fun. Uh, it's like sort of like a fun sound, but also almost horrific. Like it might be something that you could hear in a horror movie. Do, do you remember this? Uh, I think I, I have do. a clip of it. But I, I, I've got an idea. In, in an effort to salvage what little remaining time we have left, let me smear some of this goo on you, and then I will build us a cozy little fire, and we'll snuggle up with a blanket, and we'll talk about New York and all the great times we've had over the years, and, and we'll make a concerted effort, not to mention the, the dreaded M word, for, for, the, for, for the whole weekend, okay? You changed, Joey. No, I, I haven't. <laughs> I, I haven't. I swear, I'm still me, and, and you're still you, and, and we're still us. The only thing that's different is, is this place. But it's funny because it's sort of this this uh, playful theme that becomes almost a little horrific. Like maybe it's like in a minor key or something. I don't, I don't know how music works, but uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah. yeah, it's it's just a funny juxtaposition because uh, Elaine's reaction to the smell of high Ohio Ipsonio. I agree. It actually those pluck strings only come in whenever high Ohio Ipsonio are being is being applied or being discussed in some manner. I believe the plucking of the strings in this particular case is called pizzicato. Pizzicato, okay. Yeah, but I had noted that too. I was I thought that was such an interesting music choice to be using right there, and I, that's the first time that it's happening right throughout the show. Yeah, I, I didn't notice that that particular piece of music uh, anywhere else. I, that's why I made a note of it. I was like, wow, this kind of almost sounds like a horror movie. It really does. Uh, And I I do like the choice of using that though. For some reason, it really gelled well in the scene. Um, Well, I think we're almost like wrapping this guy up. Uh, Essentially, by the end of the episode, uh, everyone does in fact get better because because of the high Ohio Ipsonio. You know, Chris is back to hosting the radio show, but he's got Ed as his co-host, you know, Uh as a a sign of gratitude. Yeah. A token of appreciation. And uh, Stand By Me is playing on the radio. It's a nice, like, Mm -hmm. you know, it's a nice, uh, a nice comfy feeling song. Joel is celebrated at the brick. Everyone seems to really love, you know, because at first they were, gonna like rip his throat out because at the, at the town hall meeting, you know, everyone was sick and angry at him. But uh, once everyone has been cured, um, in fact, I think it's the morning that Elaine is gonna leave. Uh, they go to the brick and everyone is like, you know, your man Joel here, he's a, he's a real good catch. Like he's a hero here. We all love him. Yeah. Um, Maurice sings about his praise knowing that he picked the right doctor. Yeah, that's what I was saying. Yeah, so it, it, uh, we learned that I think Maurice had his pick of doctor and he chose yeah. Joel. Yeah. The that episode. was the first time they mentioned that. Yeah. We, we get the idea. I think we mentioned in, in one of our previous episodes that Maurice is sort of the one that is, uh, his, he seems, um, sort of like Maurice, his own duty is to keep Joel trapped in Sicily. But also it turns out that, uh, he was, hand, he was the one who hand selected Joel. He's definitely the marshal or the warden over Joel's sentence in Sicily. And, um, you know, if we talked about just before uh, Elaine leaves, they do the whole weird like Twin Peaks sort of dream Dream sequence. sequence. Um, And uh, I think the very last um, scene of this this episode is Joel is finally sick. Um, The whole time that everyone was uh, sick in Sicily, um, it seemed to be that only Joel and Maggie were the people who were not sick. Um, which actually I did, I did skim through the episode today mm-hmm. and noticed that, um, 
right before they go on the nature trip with uh, Holling, uh-huh. um, you can hear off screen Shelly is vomiting. I don't know if you remember that. And yeah, she's he assumes that she has the flu, but yeah. it's actually morning sickness. Yeah, because as we established in the last episode, uh, she is pregnant. And I, but the reason I bring it up is because uh, that would make three people that have not been affected by the flu. Because apparently Shelly wasn't vomiting because of the flu. She was vomiting because of morning sickness, right? You're right. Yeah. So Joel, Maggie, and Shelly are the ones who are, are unaffected by the flu. However, now the final scene of the episode, Joel is sick, uh, kind of wrapped up in a blanket and, uh, it's actually pretty funny. Um, he gets a knock at the door and Joel is like extremely congested. His just response is enter. <laughs> like, <laughs> just like his, uh, his, um, futility. He, he can't do anything at this moment. Maggie right. comes in and she's brought him a, uh, a little bit of high Ohio Epsonio that she saved. Mm-hmm. I wonder if th- there's some deeper uh, analysis to be done here because she hands him what I imagine is the last remnants of the Hayo Hayo Ipsonaya because yeah, I think it because I think it had all run out and and Maggie had apparently saved some for herself if she were to get sick right and I don't does this mean that Joel is split at a crossroads of analyzing the chemical compounds of Hayo Hayo or he should use it on himself to cure whatever flu he has. Is there a crossroads to be found in this or no, well, can I, he just do both? I don't know. Well, I think that Joel um, submitted to high Ohio Epsonio earlier in the episode when he administers it to uh, mm-hmm. Elaine. Right. But he wants to know the chemical compound, uh, compound specifically. Oh yeah. Cause he, wa- he, he is in a way he's turned into a believer by the end of the episode. Cause it seems to be working. And yeah. he's like, all right, Marilyn, please tell me what is in this. Like, he wants we to can, market it. We can market this. <laughs> we can save a lot of people um, from the flu, you know? Um, but she won't tell him it's an ancient tribal remedy. So you're saying in this, in this final scene, uh, he, he has to choose between saving this sample and, and studying it or um, administering it to himself because he's sick. Yeah, I don't know if that's me just reading too much into it, though, because I think you can just do both, couldn't you? you just, yeah, he could just save a little bit of it. Yeah, um, the way yeah. it was presented to me, it, it looked like that, but... It looked like he was trying to decide, like, yeah. should I use this or should I save it? Right. Um, well, I, I feel like um, while that is a bit of a plot line in this episode, his idea of um, making a profit off of something, off of this high Ohio scenario, uh, it's definitely a little more apparent in the last episode uh, when he's like trying to pitch these Japanese businessmen. He wants to make a huge profit out of it. And actually this has become a theme too, because in episode three, he's got, you know, the $50,000 worth of uh, acres of land from Soapy Sanderson. So I think you're not, um, that's not a wrong instinct to have about this scene because in the past, like two or three episodes, Joel has been trying to make money in some sort of nefarious way, you know? (laughs) Yeah. So it it wouldn't be um it wouldn't be strange for his character to want to like save this high Ohio and I on market it. There's even a word for that type of thing and I learned from this episode. Okay. And it's called bilking. Oh yeah, cuz that's in the dream sequence uh, Maggie says uh don't your patients appreciate how much you how much bilking you do to the insurance agencies or something? Yes, and it means to like uh the act of bilking it means uh-huh. to defraud or like to fraud a general public of yeah. some kind. So, yeah, that was also one of the yeah, words I had to, that are scattering throughout here. I definitely cracked the dictionary for that one. Uh 
before we get out of here, there is a little bit of flirtation between Maggie and Joel. Um, before she leaves, she offers the Hi Ohio Epsonio and she says, would you like me to rub this all over you in a very flirtatious manner? Would you like me to rub this all over you? Yeah, that, that would be... It would? In your dreams, Fleischman. <laughs> Which is funny because, you know, he did have dreams of you know, Maggie making out with them essentially like they, (laughs) it's pretty much like what happened. Um, you said this is your favorite episode so far. Would you say? Yes, definitely. I I really love this episode and maybe that's not good that this is my favorite episode because this episode is such an outlier. Is that what you're saying? Exactly. So does that mean that I won't like the rest of the episodes because they're not outliers and they're going to prescribe to the general outline of how Northern exposure should be. Yeah. That's a good, yeah, no, that's, that's a good, uh, sort of fear to have. Yeah, I understand <laughs> what you're saying. Um, well, I'm really glad you like this episode and I also like it because of the same reason it seems so oddball. Um, I think this is something we can analyze at the end of the season and kind of see it's jumped through a lot of hoops, uh, throughout the entire season, different episodes doing different things. Uh, you know, oftentimes the first season they're trying to, f- they're f- to find their footing and figure out what works. Um, so I'd like to, yeah, I'd kind of like to crack that book open again once we get to the end of the season. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, so one of the uh, staples of this podcast is we tried to introduce the show to uh, someone who has never seen it before, completely out of context. Yeah, fish out of water, just it, like Joel yes, in Sicily. And, and see if it holds up and, uh, you know, if it's, a, if it's still a show. Because... You know, I have, I obviously love the show. It seems that you're you're digging it so far, Charles. I am. And I want to see if it, it actually holds up or if this just is more of a, a nostalgic kick for me. But anyway, our guest on this episode is Dylan. He's an old friend of mine. Uh, actually, I picked him because uh, he, was, he was the person who introduced me to Twin Peaks. In fact, the first time that I watched this episode, um, I was severely confused by that sequence that oh you didn't know what twin peaks was i was like i analyzed it incredibly and i had never heard of twin peaks so if i had (laughs) if i had known probably would have saved me some time but it was just such a weird sequence to me i was like what is happening why is this so different for for seemingly there's no explanation um but yeah so dylan um kind of introduced me to twin peaks to david lynch's filmography let's hear what he has to say so here i am recording my thoughts on russian flu I enjoyed the loose, almost sparse pacing and plot of the show. The events just kind of happened in a sequence without a lot of tension or resolution. Um, I feel like that combined with the length of the episodes and just the generally slow overall pacing kind of lends itself to a relaxed slice of life feel. I enjoyed the uh, the Twin Peaks uh, homage section, although I feel like it, I would have appreciated it a little bit more if I hadn't have known that it was in the episode in advance. Um, other things I enjoyed, I, I really liked all of the exterior shots of the town. Um, You know, the establishing shots that I feel like they do a really good job of presenting a sense of place, make you feel like it's a real town. 
things that did not work for me as much. Um, I found the, the protagonist, Fleischman, uh, I found him a bit grating. I feel like he might be the kind of character that grows on you after you've seen, you know, seen his misadventures over a series of episodes. But just watching this one episode alone, I found him kind of obnoxious. I think the pacing, you know, it could work either way depending on personal taste. I happen to like the slow, meandering pacing, but I could easily see that being a problem for someone who wants something a little bit more tightly wound. Um, yeah, I I liked it. I, you know, I remembered it being more similar to Twin Peaks, um, just in general, but... I found it more sitcom-y than I remembered. Well, just from the one or two episodes I saw in the past. But yeah, overall, an enjoyable viewing. Yeah, so I guess Dylan had seen an episode before, probably in college whenever uh, we had hung out. Um, but, it's, you know, still kind, of a, still kind of out of context, I would say. Yeah, especially if he was watching later episodes, not yeah. season one episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh... Yeah, I like uh, I like that Dylan kind of pointed out this sort of slow pacing as uh, something we've talked about already. And uh, you said initially that was sort of like uh, sort of threw you for a loop, but uh, maybe you've kind of settled into it. I have, yeah. I, I'm. It was uh, like Dylan was saying, much more slower paced show than what I'm used to. I, I can't tell if that's because that's the way the show is written or because that's the way shows are written in 1990. I. Th- I, you know, I, I want to say that, uh, you know, maybe that is a thing in the nineties, but you know, from Dylan's perspective, this is a show that, uh, you know, uh, Northern exposure is a, is the type of show that maybe, um, stands apart from other shows because of its pacing. Um, I feel like that was a large part of his, uh, analysis and critique was, was that, uh, it is in a way unique or it, it's its own characteristic, or its uh, most uh, standout characteristic is that it um, isn't necessarily like action oriented and doesn't resolve things uh, in necessarily a very thrilling way. It's kind of a slower pace and you know more meandering, as he said. Yeah, just interpersonal connections between the townsfolks, and there isn't, like you said, there's no huge action or climactic screaming match between the characters. It's just. Joel living in a small town in Alaska. Yeah. Really. I, that's, and I think, you know, it, it's something that's kind of hard to vocalize uh, or to describe, but something that uh, is a, a large part of what I like about Northern Exposure. I don't really know how to explain it to people, but, you know, I think Dylan did a good job. Uh, I am surprised that Dylan, uh, you know, was kind of found Fleischman, uh, in, in his words, grating and <laughs> obnoxious, which true, you know, Joel is that character to a T. Um, but I guess we've had, you know, the first four episodes to kind of get to get to like Joel a little yeah. more. And, you know, we, we do talk about there are some attributes of Joel that are um, altruistic or, or maybe like higher, just like a more generous person. But um, really, I think the reasons why I like Joel the most, at least at this point, is because it's funny just to kind of see 
what kind of situations he gets himself into and just kind of see him struggle. And he's like, <laughs> can do nothing about it. Yeah. He's just powerless in those situations. I have to say, this has got to be the strangest episode so far that we've watched to put someone else into. Oh yeah. I guess like to out, watch of, context. Yeah, it's yeah, like, out what, of context. What is this show? And I guess uh, I did sort of spoil it for Dylan because I mentioned that uh, I chose him for this. I told him that I chose him for this episode because of the Twin Peaks reference. So he was looking out for it. But yeah. Oh, there is something I wanted to talk about. And this is completely out of context. has nothing to do with uh, what Dylan said, but it's something we skipped over. There is a really uh, interesting scene just talking about the director, sort of like um, just like a a really cool shot. Uh, So there's a scene where Joel and Maggie, um, I guess Joel is confronting Maggie um, because he believes that she is like, brainwashing Elaine. She's trying to sabotage their relationship. Yeah. Oh, is it the one where they're out in the plane in yeah. the field and she's and about to fly off? Yes, it's all one shot. Uh, and it's just really cool blocking. Like it starts off with Joel and Maggie um, by her plane. Mm-hmm. And then I think, uh, you know, Maggie runs to her truck and the camera moves with them. Uh, it doesn't cut, you know, they're talking by her truck and then it goes back to the plane. They do some more talking and then it comes back to the other side of the truck. There's just a, like a lot of good, not only, um, movement, but sort of like, um, the size of Joel and Maggie and the shots. Like sometimes they're sort of more in a medium shot. And then when they move closer to camera, they're more in close up. when they say certain lines, just a really fun, uh, way to block out the scene. Um, in a more sort of like maybe theatrical mode rather than just like a editing mode. Yeah, you're right. Do you think it was the actor's decision to have that be done or do you think it was the director's? Well, we talked about this before in, in one of the episodes. Uh, I think it was uh, probably... Uh, a marriage you know, of both? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I like to believe that scenes like that come about because um, they're rehearsing the scene in the location. And they're like, what can we do with these lines? We don't want to just have Joel and Maggie sitting there yapping back and forth. I think actually in the last episode, there was a sequence that I commented on not liking. It was uh, Joel and Maurice talking in a two shot, not really moving. And it's just literally back and forth dialogue. Um, Beautiful background, but apart from that, nothing's really happening in the the scene, in the shot. Um, Though their dialogue seems to be very fast and have have a lot of uh, sort of kineticism to it. Um, But... No, I think uh, it's a very great job in this scene, in this episode, um, just keeping that movement going and um, playing around with scenery and shot sizes, you know? Um, Yeah, I I guess it's, um, I think it's, you know, it's a director's decision to shoot a scene like that. But who knows, maybe the actors were having fun and they wanted to just like run around the set, you know? Yeah, I Um, mean, it makes sense like what you're saying. Like It must have been planned because like, you know, they had the... They had the plane there, obviously, and uh-huh. then they had Maggie's truck. So they must have been like, okay, well, there's a reason why we need to drive Maggie's truck to set, you know, because they're going to have to play around with the truck. Otherwise, oh. it wouldn't be, they wouldn't have driven it to set if they weren't planning on shooting it. You're you know? right, yeah. So, you know, it was probably... Um, you know, it's probably the director's intention to give them some action, but maybe the actors just had a lot of fun and just kept mm-hmm. running back and forth with it. I got to say, I agree with you. I really like it when actors are moving about while they're saying their lines. It gives them a lot of life to their characters uh, and it makes it look more realistic, quote unquote realistic. Yeah. Instead of just sitting there and going it's, back It's more and forth. visually dynamic too. You know, yeah. you get to see 
you know, it's just charged with more energy. Mm-hmm. As an actor, I would find that that would be much more enjoyable scenes too. Probably easier too, because I don't know, whenever you're just like standing still, you just start thinking about like, what do I do with my arms? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I guess maybe I'm assuming actors never have to think about that because they're so good at it. But uh, yeah. it's like, what do I do with my arms? Should I cross them? Uh, like pockets? Well, this it's definitely easier. You get to move around the boxes. Yeah. And you know that you have to like put your hands on top of the plane to it's demonstrate like, a point. I know like actors, there's just like the joke of like actors wanting to like eat something whenever they're performing, like they're biting an apple or something. I heard a great theory about that. The reason that some actors like to eat during some shoots is that it enhances their jawline. Oh, you can see that? Yeah. Yeah, so they think it makes them look more handsome. Isn't there like a Seinfeld episode where... um, Jason Alexander's character. George? George, yeah. (laughs) Isn't there like a Seinfeld episode where George... uh, uh, can only be on the phone when he's like, he, he can't pick up the phone unless he's like eating an apple or something, or maybe it's Jerry, but yeah, there's, there, <laughs> that's a thing. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's okay. Um, well, let's get back to Dylan. Yeah, uh, yeah, sorry. Yeah. We just went on a tangent. Um, yeah, I mean, finally we get a little bit of critique, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. I think, I think our guests have been honest and have pointed out the things they like, the things they haven't liked, but I'm glad that, uh, someone, you know, called Joel out on his, uh, on his crap for being too obnoxious and uh, grading of a character. Um, <laughs> but yeah, do you have any uh, major um, issues with this episode? You said it was your favorite. Do you have any um, any shortcomings in this episode? Not really, to be honest. Yeah. Though I think an observation that I had made was that it seemed like um, David, who wrote the episode, probably just let loose. Like mm-hmm. he was, there were so many, we, we talk about it constantly throughout this uh, podcast episode, but there are a lot of references we just don't understand. And it's not because of a topical reference. It's, Some of them might be fictional, just like, is that what you're saying or no? Uh, or no, no, sorry. Didn't sometimes like that. Um, about the character, um, Kate, Kate Rubin, yeah. Kate Rubin, that's which the is one a, that st- sticks out in my mind. Yeah. I must figure out who Kate Rubin is. <laughs> but th- there's just a lot of references to not even pop culture, just uh, references to history, Julius and Ethel Rosenberg, which yeah. I had to Google. Um, <laughs> and I think that he was just having fun with this entire script. That's what I feel. Yeah. And also uh, to me, this, this episode we talked about already, but it's like, uh, it's the one that, um, the plot seems to be the most like, uh, packed together. Like there aren't these like branching out plot lines. No. All of the subplots are kind of involved in the major plot. Um, which I think, uh, I guess as a criticism for me, some of my favorite episodes of Northern Exposure allow the characters to do very separate things, Mm -hmm. but somehow it's all tied together in a theme. Yeah. Um, Probably why I like uh, Brains Know How and Native Intelligence. That's one of my favorite episodes. And it's, you know, it's a little, we said this like a million times, it's a little um, on the nose about it, like everything being about the theme of pride in that episode. Right, right. Um, But I do like that, you know, we can explore a theme in three different ways in one episode. Mm-hmm. Well, what about you? Where does this episode rank? Um, one of my favorites. Yeah, this is definitely one when I saw it. Um, it caught me off guard. You know, I did not expect a show, this show, um, Dylan mentioned it being sort of sitcom and definitely is very um, goofy. Um, but this is a show, this episode of the show caught me off guard and and got me excited for what kind of crazy things they can do on this TV show to sort of break reality, um, to do things that you don't normally see. You know, Northern Exposure, as we said, is uh, set in a very quiet town and it's uh, somewhat unexciting on the surface, but there's a lot going on. 
underneath and just like these small interpersonal connections that are fascinating. I guess. Yeah. Like the, nor- the normal ordinary lives of them are actually extraordinary to yeah. view on a lens. Um, I think we should sign off, man. I mean, I always feel bad whenever we end these episodes because it's like, oh, I wanted to say that or I forgot about this. <laughs> and that's kind of why I interjected my own, uh, that scene about blocking. No, 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 no that's like fine. Into- <laughs> I actually, I think you should have done that. It's yeah. fine. <laughs> We're, let's, uh, you know, let's punch in something if we, uh, if we miss it. <laughs> It'll be yeah. really funny, I'm sure. Do um, you want to sign off? Um, yeah, I mean, well, I'll just say... Um, you know, I, I, I typically do the credits afterwards, so oh, I'm not, yeah, not going to do them right now. Don't put me on the spot, Charles. All right. Uh, <laughs> all right. Well, I'll see you next episode. Episode six. Uh, we got a sexy title. Here it goes. Northern Exposure season one, episode six. It's titled Sex, Lies, and Ed's Tape. Ooh. Let's not talk about it yet. Let's wait till the next episode. I'll see you then, Charles. All right. Northern Overexposure podcast is edited by me. Our theme song was remixed by Matt Jackson. Thanks to Laser Kitties for the podcast artwork. And thanks to Dylan for watching the show and being our guest analyst. Dylan told me his favorite Twin Peaks plotline was Nadine's Silent Drape Runners. And of course, thanks for listening. <laughs>